Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the first presentation of a two-part ASCII Expert Hygienist series. Today's webinar, The Hygienist Role, Identifying Malocclusion and the Benefits of Tooth Alignment, will be presented by Lauren Gates. You will earn one CE hour for attending today's program, and you will receive important instructions on how to obtain your C certificate at the conclusion of the presentation. Please note you're able to listen to today's program via the webcast, and throughout the webinar, you'll have the opportunity to ask text questions, which our presenter will answer at the conclusion of the presentation. Today's program will be archived in its entirety on the Education tab of the Invisalign Doctor site, where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous ASCII Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce our speaker today, Lauren Gates. Lauren Gates, a dental hygienist of 20-plus years and a recipient of the 2010 RDH Sunstar Award of Distinction, lectures nationally to health professionals on comprehensive care and oral systemic links. Lauren received her degree from the State University of New York at Farmingdale in 1991 and postgraduate training in myofunctional therapy through the AOMT in 2013. Lauren is a published author and has been seen on WNBC, WABC, and the Colgate Oral Health Network, raising awareness about diabetes and oral health. She is passionate about the perio-ortho connection and the health benefits of Align Teeth, thus enjoying her role as Hygiene Education Manager for Align Technology. Lauren also wanted me to mention that she's a mom of three and all are in Invisalign treatment. So without further delay, I'll turn the program over to Lauren. Lauren, you now have the floor. Thank you so much, Dave, and thank you everybody for joining me today in this first hygiene two-part ATA webinar series. I'm so excited to share with you the information that I've gained firsthand from being a hygienist of over 20 years and working with Invisalign patients myself to see the benefits that proper tooth alignment can provide them to have health for a lifetime. I do want to remind you that this is a two-part webinar series, so today for the first part, we will be reviewing Ortho 101, the basics of orthodontics, and how it relates to everyday dentistry from the hygiene perspective. We'll be focusing on perio-orthosystemic connections. We'll also review long-term oral health solutions with Invisalign therapy, showing really impressive cases of the health benefits of proper tooth alignment. We're going to discuss the difference between abfractions and abrasions and how to differentiate for yourself so we can recommend the proper treatment modalities for our patients. And we're also going to touch upon implementing ortho in the dental practice stemming from the hygiene chair. So let's get started. Today's first part is titled, The Hygienist's Role in Identifying Malocclusion and the Benefits of Proper Tooth Alignment. So the hygienist has an important role in incorporating orthodontics as part of comprehensive care and providing orthodontic solutions for their patients. The patients really see hygienists as their healthcare advocates, and this is where patient evaluation, education, and engagement takes place from the hygiene chair. I like to think of the acronym RDH as really delivering healthcare because our patients see us as healthcare advocates and because we are part of the overall health team. So I've had the opportunity to present nationally to many dental hygienists, and I always put the slide up and invite hygienists to add if there's anything I'm missing that's part of comprehensive care or treatment. So if you have anything else that I am missing from this list, please feel free to email me and I will include it on my next presentation. 
But you can see we do a lot more than just tooth cleaning, right? We're really part of, again, our patient's healthcare team. But I also found it so um, refreshing that hygienists did find recognizing malocclusion in orthodontic solutions as part of comprehensive care and comprehensive treatment. So let's talk a little bit about ortho and ortho 101. If you think back to hygiene school, we mainly focused on that sagittal relationship and didn't really touch upon the transverse and the vertical relationship. So what I'd like to do is just do a quick review of these relationships and how it applies to everyday dentistry. So the sagittal view, that's that anterior-posterior relationship where we actually would divide the head in half and uh, you would have that anterior-posterior buccal view where we would describe the angles classification of the molar and cuspid relationship as class one, class two, and class three. So many times when I worked with hygienists and consulted with hygienists, and I would ask them to evaluate malocclusion or classify malocclusion, that's the first thing they would think of, class one, class two, class three. And in working with Dr. Ben Moralia, one of our prominent doctors in my area, he adds class one, class two, class three, so what? And this is really based on the adult population. I'm not talking about kids and I'm not talking about teens. But with adults, let's consider a patient coming in who has a class two molar relationship. In six months, she's still going to be a class two. And if she's in a functioning class two, we're really going to keep her at a class two because it really wouldn't be advantageous at that point if she's functioning well to move her into a class one. So I just want to look beyond that class one, class two, class three relationship and focus more so on the transverse dimension because with the transverse dimension, it focuses on the arch width and the arch form. And occlusal disease mainly stems from these transverse discrepancies. So that's what I want to focus on and kind of have our orthogoggles really in tune to this dimension, focusing on arch form and arch width. The proper arch width for an adult is about 36 millimeters on average. And we have a very handy tool that everyone has on their bracket table every day that can help us quickly decipher if this is a correct measurement when evaluating our patients. It's the cotton roll. So if you take a cotton roll, the cotton roll is about 36 millimeters. It should fit really nicely in between the first molars and the lingual of the first molars. If it doesn't fit in there, chances are the patient has a narrow arch, or if it's swimming around in there, they have a wider arch and they probably have spacing involved. So I just wanted to make sure that we're aware of the arch form and the arch width and how to simply measure that, and it's not time consuming to do so. When I'm presenting to a live audience, I ask the audience, how many of you see patients with crooked teeth every day? And if I were to ask you, you're probably thinking about all the patients you see on a daily basis with so-called crooked teeth. So everyone usually raises their hand. In fact, I make sure and I ask, does anybody not see any patients with crooked teeth? And no one raises their hand except me. I raise my hand up high and of all my years in dentistry, it's about 25 now, I have never seen a crooked tooth. The tooth is not crooked. I have never seen an anatomically crooked tooth where it's bent or it's um, you know tilted or so. It's, it's not crooked per se. It's just in the wrong spot. I have seen crooked roots, many of them, but I have never seen an anatomically crooked tooth. So what's going on? What is causing the crooked teeth? It's not that the teeth are crooked. It's they don't have enough room based on 
an insufficient arch space, arch width, arch form. So if you look at the proper shape here, that U shape, you're really not going to get crowding because the teeth have the place. But when you have the V shape like this, that's where you're going to find you're going to get your crooked or crowded teeth. In a square arch form, many times you'll see this as a class 2 diff 2, where you'll have those laterals being classified as crooked, but they're actually, again, just in the wrong place. And omega, which is probably more common than you think due to um, adults with premolar extractions, perhaps, or increased use of pacifiers and baby bottle feeding, just will have that constricted arch form where it kind of goes in and out like an omega sign. So I just want to be mindful of that because many times we'll see the crowded teeth, which we refer to as crooked teeth. So that's one thing I want to walk away with is that there is no such thing as crooked teeth. It's all about the arch form and the arch width. And in normal arch width, again, you're not going to have those crowded areas. If you have too wide of an arch, you're going to have spacing, which can lead to periodontal problems and by food impaction. And when you have an insufficient arch width, you're going to wind up with the crowding. So there's three causes of crowding or what you perhaps refer to as crooked teeth. It's improper arch form, improper arch width, and buccal lingual inclination. So let's describe what buccal-lingual inclination is by actually just looking at a case that shows buccal inclination and the benefits of putting teeth in the proper place and demonstrating the benefits of proper arch form. So this patient that we're going to review, his name is Tom. It's Dr. Noor's patient from New York. I actually worked with uh, Dr. Noor and met this patient. He was in Invisalign for 18 months. So let's take a look at Tom. Tom was actually turned down by three different orthodontists in New York City, and he was told that he would need to have palatal expansion. So when I'm talking about the buccal lingual inclination, I'm talking about how the teeth are tipped in towards the palate. So when you're actually biting, you can see in the before picture, his teeth are colliding compared to sliding, as you see in the after picture. Now, this case was miraculous to me, and hats off to Dr. Noor for helping this patient, but it is amazing what plastic can do in only 18 months. So when you look at Tom from the anterior view, you will notice that you can really tell what his arch form is just by looking at the anterior view. We don't have to have him upside down and bent over to evaluate the arch form. Many times you can evaluate by looking at this view, and you can obviously see that it's a V-shaped um, arch form. So I like to tell Tom in his before picture that when his teeth fit together, they should be sliding, not colliding, similar to how a shoebox should fit, where the lid slides over the bottom. If your teeth are tilted in, you're not going to have that proper contact. You're going to have collisions, and those collisions cause much destruction to the soft tissue and the hard tissue. So the hard tissue would be enamel and bone. And then the soft tissue would be loss of attachment, a recession, clefting, isolated pocketing, and bone loss eventually, as we mentioned. So let's just take a look here at the vertical forces versus the horizontal forces. So when we have those nice axial forces or vertical forces, you're hitting straight down on the tooth and you're sliding versus colliding. But when you have those horizontal forces or non-axial forces, that's where you get those collisions and that's where I always tell my patients, something's got to give. What gives? Two things, hard tissue, soft tissue. So we'll review that also um, later in this program.
So when you look at Tom's arch form, this again to me is miraculous. He goes from a complete V shape to a U shape. And this is really remarkable. I still, I love seeing this case. It always makes me smile. But look at the inclination of Tom's teeth prior. It's not that we expanded it through the buccal bone. It's just that we tilted them or upright them to sit in the center of the alveolus. Currently in the before picture, it's not centered in the alveolus. So by just kind of pushing the teeth buccally, we're tipping them into the alveolus, creating a nice round arch form. This really is a great case. And I'll demonstrate by showing you a quick video of his ClinCheck of how this happened. So you can see here, the teeth are actually tipping outward, so it's centered in the alveolus, and that provides a lot of expansion. And by taking the teeth and doing that, you can see we're really changing the arch form, providing that nice round arch form. Think about his tongue posture as well, how much we've helped him, and perhaps he'll avoid a CPAP down the road. So there's a lot we can do by just constructing healthy arch forms. And here is a series of his before pictures where we can see the V-shape clearly. We can see the overjet. We can see the crooked teeth that we thought we had. He doesn't have crooked teeth again. They were just in the wrong place. Let's take a look at his after pictures as well. So to me, again, this is miraculous, I call it, that plastic could do this. When you see the before compared to the afters, he is healthy and he is happy. And it was so rewarding as a hygienist to help him in part of this process. I also like to point out the, the stilo factor, I call it, or the swagger factor, that most patients do have a little swagger once they're done with their treatment and end up changing their style a bit because we don't tell them to now grow a beard or, or get an earring or do these things. You'll see that throughout our cases, that they look a little bit of a swagger in their style when they're done with their cases. So this was really a game changer for him, changed his life and his oral health. Imagine the amount of dentistry Tom would have had to go through if he didn't take his teeth out of trauma. And all we did was take his own teeth and put them in the right place. It's really very minimally invasive and almost what I refer to as organic dentistry. So I do also want to touch upon the vertical dimension because there are the deep bites and the open bites which do affect our patient's health on a daily basis, like everyday dentistry. So when we see someone with a deep bite, we're gonna notice more wear and an open bite, they're gonna have trouble biting into apples and whatnot and perhaps lack of canine guidance. But an edge-to-edge -edge bite, as we know, will also create chipping and wearing and a lot of destruction on the teeth as well as the periodontium. So let's review a case that focuses a little bit on both of these measurements, the transverse and the vertical measurement. This is Hillary, and this is Dr. Ben Moralia's case. And when I notice Hillary, let's say from the waiting room, let's say Hillary was your patient and she's sitting in the waiting room, take a look at her because there's a lot of clues you can find just by looking at her face. So when I see Hillary and she's smiling like that, I notice right away, number one, I can't see her lower teeth, so she probably has a deep bite. Number two, I really only see from canine to canine, which sometimes is referred to as a social six. So she may have an omega type of arch form where the buccal corridor is kind of collapsed and goes in and out, or she may have a V-shaped, but I know she doesn't have a U-shaped. And then if you look at Hillary's profile, many times when you kind of see a lack of a jawline here, 
It would be more of a class two type of patient compared to that strong jaw of a class three. Like think of the Disney characters or that Jay Leno type where you have that strong jaw, that would be a class three. But when you have a kind of a blending of the jawline into the neck, that usually tends to be a class two. So here's Hillary and from her anterior view. And let's take a look at her vertical discrepancies. Obviously, she has an overbite or what's referred to as a deep bite. The transverse discrepancies is she has that lingual inclination, so the buccal corridor is collapsed. And you can't see from this view, but she is a class 2 patient. So here's Hillary's before and after. Now you can confirm that omega shape, which I discussed earlier here in the arch form. And look, we've turned her into a beautiful U, a beautiful U shape. So now her teeth are sliding rather than colliding when she swallows or when she bites. Now notice how the, the top is an omega arch form, but the lower, I would say it's more of a V. Um, yeah, you have this one tooth out of alignment, uh, lingually inclined, extremely lingually inclined, but it's really a V-ish or maybe omega-ish. You don't have to have one type of arch form. You can have tendencies. But look how beautiful the arch form is once your teeth are uprighted and put in proper alignment. Again, no more crooked teeth. This to me is also miraculous. If you look at tooth number 28 before compared to the after, it is amazing that plastic can do this. And aligners are great at pushing teeth because that's how they work. It's a push force compared to braces, which is a pull force. But look at the gingival tone here. Look how healthy the gingival margin is contrasted before and after. And it really is amazing <clears throat> Excuse me, that this could be done with aligners. And this is a slide that shows that transverse discrepancy and the destruction it has on the periodontium as well as the teeth. If you're looking at the inclination prior to after, you can notice a great improvement in her periodontal condition. There is no clefting or recession and the abfractions actually look to be improved just by aligning the teeth and taking away those horizontal forces. So let's look at Hillary's before and after. And what do we see right away? Well, we noticed right away that we can see her lower teeth, so that vertical dimension was corrected. He opened up the bite, and he uprighted the teeth, allowing us to see the lower teeth. That's the vertical dimension. And the transverse discrepancy was taken care of by taking the teeth that were lingually inclined and uprighting them into the proper position. So again, now the teeth are sliding versus colliding. And then if we look at Hillary's after with her profile, you can notice her jaw is much more prominent due to that vertical increase in the dimension. So what is the hygienist's role in all this as far as evaluating occlusion? And what are our standards of care from our professional resources? Well, the ADHA has in their standard of care guidelines that occlusion should be included as part of the heart tissue evaluation. So that's the standard of care from the ADHA. And the American Academy of Periodontology came out with a paper in 2011. They're talking about comprehensive care and what it should include. And in this paper, they have actually included occlusion as part of the periodontal evaluation, as part of that comprehensive periodontal checklist. So that's really um, groundbreaking that they included the occlusion charting into the overall periodontal evaluation. The AAP further recommends in evaluating therapy that a recommendation for the correction of any tooth form, tooth position, restoration, or prosthesis considered to be contributing to the periodontal disease process. So they're challenging us to look for tooth positioning and if that's causing or contributing to the periodontal condition. 
They further go on to say that treatment procedures when indicated should include occlusal therapy that may include tooth movement. So tooth movements, that's really orthodontics by putting teeth in the proper place. So this is really um, a great call to action from the AAP as part of comprehensive care. The CDC came out with a statistic back in September of 2012 that almost half of the adult population has periodontitis. Now that's not even including gingivitis. And that statistic jumps to 70% for patients over the age of 65. So you may be wondering, why am I telling you this if we're talking about Invisalign today? Well, I probably don't need to tell you because you see it every day, but studies show that anterior crowding of three millimeters or more serves as an individual host factor for periodontal disease. So we certainly want to avoid uh, any contributing factors if we can prevent them and show our patients how to do so by putting teeth in the proper position. And also further elaborates, there's a study that shows that there's more supergingival plaque in those crowded areas and that the periodontal pathogens are more virulent in those crowded areas, which leading to pocket formation. And I just want to take a moment to talk about pockets for a bit because it's so important and we really are focusing on them every day. I want to make sure that our patients understand really what's happening when we diagnose a pocket or assess a pocket. So in clinical practice, I didn't use the word pocket. I used the word ulcer or wound. Because when you hear the word pocket, it almost sounds cute, doesn't it? It sounds, okay, well, I've got a pocket, she's got a pocket, my aunt's got a pocket. It sounds kind of cute. But there's nothing really cute about an ulcer or a wound, and that's exactly what a pocket is. Because you have ulcerated tissue, the junctional epithelial tissue is ulcerated. Now that allows us to be what I call an open system compared to a closed system. So I actually shared this slide with my patient's chair side so they can see firsthand what happens when we're an open system compared to a closed system. And I show them on the right, I point out and highlight how the P. gingivalis travels through distant arteries and lodges through phagocytosis inside the artery causing inflammation. So we really don't want to have any extra itis in our body per se. And that's when I go on and elaborate that we do want to connect the head to the rest of the body because it's just not healthy. It's not healthy to have that chronic inflammation. So malocclusion and the patient health connection. We reviewed that malocclusion may increase the risk for periodontal disease. We discussed the links between periodontal disease and systemic health risks. But what I really want to focus on is the malocclusion and those improper bite forces and what that could lead to, that hard tissue and soft tissue destruction leading to clefting, recession, abfraction formation, and loss of bone. Let's start with recession, though. I really like to refer to the study from Dr. Kassab and colleagues because they're citing the etiology and prevalence of gingival recession is correlated to trauma, sex, malposition teeth, inflammation, and tobacco consumption. But I was not taught in hygiene school that malposition teeth was a cause of recession, and many of the hygienists I speak with aren't either. They don't correlate malpositioning to recession. And I think it's really important that we see that the studies are collaborating that this is a main cause of gingival recession. So it's amazing how this has been since 2003 this study was done, but we do have oral health solutions with Invisalign that can actually take teeth and put them in the proper place to avoid and prevent gingival recession. 
Another myth that I've learned to uncover from dental hygiene school was the causing of the gingival cleft. When I ask hygienists in attendance of my seminars, what do they think causes gingival clefting? As you can see the area highlighted in the blue circle, there's that little gingival cleft there. What causes that? And everyone yells out improper toothbrushing, flossing, and really that's about it. But no one really talks about faulty tooth positioning. And in Mosby's definition, it clearly says that a cleft of the marginal gingiva can be caused by faulty tooth positioning. Now, that makes sense to me because I've seen teeth in trauma and I've seen the clefting firsthand. You'll see it many times in that omega arch. So I want to share with you an article that was written in November of 2012 in Access Magazine by Nicole Dickey called Non-Carious Class 5 Lesions. And Nicole did such a great job of explaining those improper forces and how it really takes a toll on the CEJ leading to abfractions and recession. And in that article, I love this pictorial, which I always demonstrated to my patient's chair side. So again, I hope that you can use these slides with your patients, just talking about those improper forces and how it affects the teeth and the gums to be patient-friendly. So I showed the patients and I warned them that this wasn't blood because they don't know about articulating paper, but I just let them know that this is where the improper forces are lying, that all four cusps should be taking the brunt of the force. So rather than having a vertical force, it's having a horizontal force, which then leads to the CEJ weakening and enamel rods flying off, so to speak, uh, creating what we call an abfraction. Now, some people don't believe in abfractions, and I really love to show this picture below demonstrating a subgingival abfraction. So if you see the premolar to the right, you can see there's a subgingival abfraction caused by the posterior tongue thrust coupled with the improper occlusion. Look what time and force can do. Obviously, this cannot be toothbrush abrasion because it's subgingival. Again, our patients aren't that talented. But this is a great teaching slide too because you can see here with the collisions on the canines and the laterals, it's causing subsequent recession and fractions as well. So again, I like to use this as a teaching tool, chair side, and I hope you do too. So abfractions are non-carious class 5 lesions. That's what they are, and here's the definition of them. And what I really want to challenge today is that we don't want to really diagnose abfractions per se or assess abfractions, but we really want to try to prevent them from happening because there are some telltale signs that abfractions are forming and why wait to treat when if the problem is improper tooth forces and we can remove those improper forces just by putting teeth in the proper position, we're solving the problem rather than treating the symptoms. So there's some certain clues you can look for, like in this case, when you notice the craze line and that abfraction, why wait to treat? Let's take this tooth out of trauma, put it in the right place so it doesn't turn into a subsequent abfraction similar to the one on the right, because at that point, it's really difficult to treat. So let's prevent abfractions from happening in the first place. So this pictorial is also available in that Straight Talk brochure, and this is where I like to demonstrate with the patients the sliding versus colliding, and that something's got to give. When you have that force, it needs to dissipate. So what gives if you don't have that shock absorption of the periodontal ligament? Two things, a hard tissue, the soft tissue. And this is a great, great uh, way to explain this to them in a patient-friendly way where they can kind of see the destruction happening firsthand. 
So I'm not saying that toothbrush abrasion doesn't exist, but I'm saying it's highly overdiagnosed in my opinion. So how do we differentiate between abfractions and abrasions? Well, I've come up with what I call the four C's to help you differentiate. Number one is clefting present. Number two are the canines involved, meaning the gingival margin of the canine is intact. Number three, collisions. Are the teeth sliding or colliding? That would implicate buccal-lingual inclination. And number four, are the cusps flattened? So let's just take a look at the first one, number C, clefting present. When I see clefting present and I see a fraction formation, I put them two hand in hand together from malpositioned teeth and improper forces. Unless the cleft is a result of a frenum pull, it's more so check out the buccal-lingual inclination and many times you'll find that it's all related. And in fact, when you're looking at this is a great teaching slide just to look at that omega arch form that we talked about earlier. And many times in our omega arch forms, you will see clefting recession and abfraction formation due to the lingual inclination and the improper horizontal forces. So I actually Googled toothbrush abrasion, and this is the picture that came up. So if our patients are told they brush too hard, they may do the same, and this is what they might see. And they say, oh yeah, that's what I have, toothbrush abrasion. But is it really toothbrush abrasion? Let's put the four C's into practicality here. Number one, the first thing I look for, the first clue, would be clefting. I don't see that, so let's move to number two, is the canines. Is the gingival margin of the canine intact? When you see the gingival margin of the canine intact, I know right away that this has to be a fraction formation because, again, I don't believe our patients are that talented to bypass the canine. It's the most prominent area in the mouth. It's the corner of the mouth, so it's the thinnest area, more prone for recession, that it's almost impossible to bypass that, if not impossible. So when I see that, I really realize that it's a fraction formation. And again, being that it's the corners of the mouth, sometimes the canines get a double whammy with tooth brushing. You know, the patient may brush down the buccal corridor and then again anteriorly where it gets hit twice. So when you see the gingival margin fully intact here and all of this, these non-carious lesions, I would say that these are fractions. Let's look at the third C, collisions. Are the teeth colliding or sliding? Well, it's like a head-on collision here, right? Because of the, the inclination and those improper horizontal forces, which then leads to flattening of the cusps. So you can see they're like tabletops here. So if you put those four C's into clinical practicality, many times you'll see that many times it's due to the faulty tooth positioning that's causing the abfractions, not so much toothbrush abrasion. Now, when we look at a picture like this, again, when I ask the audience how many patients they see like this a day, the average is about four to seven. Four to seven patients a day where the buccal corridor is lingually inclined, leading, as you can see here, to clefting, recession, um, and future abfraction formation. As you can see, there's some class five buccal composites placed on there, but is that really solving the problem or is that more of a Band-Aid situation? So my goal would be to take the teeth out of trauma. And that's exactly what Dr. Ben Moralia does. His goal is to create those nice vertical forces to take the teeth out of trauma so the gingival architecture is nice and healthy and to prevent future abfraction formation. So you can see the before picture and the after picture. You can see the lingual inclination. You can see the clefting. Compare it to the picture on the right. You notice there's zero clefting involved and actually the abfractions look improved, right? They're almost hidden. 
So Dr. Moralia is still treating this patient today, and there is no carious lesion, so they didn't turn into caries, and he uses fluoride therapy. But now he's very comfortable waiting and watching once the teeth are in the right place. But in the before picture, as a hygienist, are you comfortable waiting and watching with this patient? You know, for me, I would almost think of it as supervised neglect. If you know that the cause is the improper forces, then the solution clearly is to put the teeth in the right place and creating those nice vertical forces. So this leads to providing our patients with options. This is what it's all coming down to. I'm not saying that we should tell our patients what to do. Uh, All I think as a hygienist is that it's our role and responsibility, and they trust in us to provide us with long-term solutions. And that's what I'm suggesting we do. So in certain conditions like fractions, anterior incisal fracturing, worn down fractured or posterior teeth, grinding, gingival recession, you know, some of these may be actually short-term treatments. Those class 5 composites, depending on the non-carious lesion, you know, uh, they may not last too long if you still have those improper forces. So the long-term solution would be to upright the teeth to correct the vertical alignment and take the teeth out of trauma. If you have anterior incisal fracturing, the solution is not crowning, perhaps. The solution is not occlusal adjustments. The solution would be to correct the malocclusion, which is usually an end-to-end anterior crossbite or a deep bite, with an orthodontic solution. Also, our worn down and fractured posterior teeth. Why are they worn down? Why are they fractured? Is there an occlusal traumatism involved? Are they have lack of canine guidance? Are they grinding? because they don't have canine guidance, or they grinders because they truly are grinders. I'm not saying everybody isn't an actual grinder, but many times people grind just due to lack of canine guidance. They may not be inherent grinders. So in that case, the solution would be, again, to correct the malocclusion by taking teeth out of trauma, providing canine guidance or group function. And you can see as we go down the list here, the gingival recession, many times dentists decide to refer out to the periodontist for grafting, which is fine as long as the teeth are in the right position before you do the grafting. Because if the teeth aren't in the proper position, aren't in the proper alignment, is the graft really going to hold? And let's face it, gingival grafting is hardly a Band-Aid treatment, right? It's really invasive. I don't know if any of you had it, but it's more than a pizza burn, right? It's painful, it's invasive, and it can be expensive. And hopefully we can avoid it by just proper tooth positioning. So the current treatment for non-carious class 5 lesions, the standard treatment is actually, believe it or not, wait and watch, which I'm sure you guys all experience on a daily basis. If you're going to fill the non-carious lesion, are you going to watch it? You know, many times you wait for it, perhaps, if it's going to get deeper. And many times, if it's still in trauma, it will get deeper. And then the other standard currently is those class 5 buccal composites. Some controversial GP treatment would be occlusal adjustments and occlusal splints. So the class 5 buccal composites, they're known to have a low retention rate. A study done by Onal and Pamir was showing that after two years, a third of the composites were lost. And I probably don't have to tell you this either, especially if you're in dentistry for a while, that they don't have a high success rate. You see it firsthand, and many times it's based on the positioning of the tooth. The more um, force there are, then the more likely that the composite won't last. And it's really not a great practice builder if you think about it, because who do the patients blame when the fillings fall out or when they need to be replaced every two to five years? They usually think about the dentistry and the workmanship. 
I have yet to see a patient say to a friend of theirs, hey, come to my dentist. She's great. She does fillings and they pop out the next month. So it's really not a great patient builder or referral source. And from the doctors I spoke with, most dentists do not like performing these types of restorations knowing that they don't have a high success rate. So let's talk about evidence-based dentistry and how does Invisalign fall into that concept? Well, what I actually was really happy to read not too long ago, it was February 2015, and actually read the definition of evidence-based dentistry. And I have to admit, I didn't realize it was a three-realm approach. So I just want to share that with you today, that here's the definition of evidence-based dentistry. It is a three-realm approach. The first realm is science. It has to be scientifically sound. Number two, the clinician's judgment. Now, notice how they don't say the dentist's judgment. That really kind of warmed my heart because they're including hygienists in this as well, that our opinion matters. And obviously, what's best for the patient's needs and their preferences. So all three of those have to be taken into consideration. So let's take a look at another case. This is Evan, he's 23 years old, and his treatment was 15 months. And when you look at this case, what's the first thing you think of? Let's not be clinical here. Let's just say your first instinct when you look at this case. My first reaction back in 2006 when Dr. Moralia presented this and I was just taking a CE course, <laughs> my first reaction was, Yuck. I mean, really, would you want to have a mouth like that? And I was thinking what everyone was probably thinking, that he had horrible teeth, he had ugly teeth. There's nothing um, nice about that. You wouldn't want to have those teeth ever, right, besides the poor hygiene and all the other issues that are going on. But Evan doesn't have bad teeth. Evan doesn't have ugly teeth. In fact, Evan has beautiful teeth. So when you take a look at Evan's after picture, it's quite remarkable, and again, I'm going to say miraculous, because this was my first aha moment. When I saw Evan in this case in 2006, that's where I changed a lot of my philosophies from 2006 to 2012, really focusing on ortho as being paramount to oral health. So when you look at this, number one, you can see right away by number nine, and you can see the central lateral, it's a direct, direct collision. Right? When I say are they sliding or colliding, it's a head-on collision. And look what gives. Something's got to give. Two things give. The hard tissue, the soft tissue. So here there's a chip in the enamel. You can't see it from on the incisal edge, but it's covered. And then there's loss of bone. And then the soft tissue, that's what gives. Here you have loss of attachment, you have pocketing, and you have recession, obviously. So when you take teeth and you put them back in the right place, Look at what happens to the gingival architecture because the gingival architecture follows the movement of the tooth. And Evan had four quadrants of scaling and replaning, prophy, apt, and whitening, but that's it. His teeth are beautiful. They were just in the wrong spot and dirty, to say the least. So you can see the difference just proper alignment can make. If you look here at tooth number 10, you'll notice that there's some clefting beginning compared to the after, where you now you have that nice rounded gingival margin. You can see here he has no canine guidance. So that lack of canine guidance, he was actually diagnosed as a grinder and he uh, was recommended to have a night guard, but he's not a grinder. He was grinding due to lack of canine guidance. Once he put the canine upright and had the proper guidance, he wasn't having the wear on his back teeth anymore. So he was set up for success. And Evan, 
I don't know, almost 10 years later or so, all he needed is six-month cleanings after those scalings. He never had a cavity filled. He never had a crown done. He just comes in for his regular maintenance, and that's it. He's probably going to be dentistry-free for the rest of his life. Imagine if he didn't have Invisalign. Imagine Evan now in his 30s, in his 40s, in his 50s, 60s, 70s. He would have thousands of dental bills, and he wouldn't have his own teeth. And there's nothing like your real teeth, as we all know. So when Evan was first told that he should get Invisalign, he was kind of you know, caught off guard. Well, what do you mean Invisalign? He goes, I, I can't get Invisalign. I have to fix my teeth. So we really need to just reconnect how important proper tooth alignment is and how in the long run, it's really an investment in your health. And you can see here that he certainly benefited from this therapy. If you look at his periodontal charting, you'll notice that the numbers have improved from five millimeters to two millimeters, and he's just healthy overall. So you can see the difference. And as far as histologically speaking, you can see here that there's a lot of activity going on below the surface systemically. Even with established gingivitis, you have those interleukins, you have tumor necrosis factor, you have C-reactive protein going on. It's just not healthy. Remember, we don't want any itis. We don't want any gingivitis, again, compared to this lack of activity with gingival health. So when you look at his before and pictures, uh, again, you can see how he's much healthier all around systemically by having his teeth in the right spot. So when you look at Evan, here he is. I don't have to tell you the before and what's after. You can see pretty clearly for yourself. Again, that swagger factor takes effect. You can see he got new frames. He actually lost 25 pounds. You know, he got a new haircut. His complexion cleared up. He's feeling great. He's looking great. And he's on a road to health and happiness. And a lot has to do with his smile. It's amazing the difference a smile can make. I also want to point out here, if you just look at the picture before compared to after, what do you notice of Evan sitting in the waiting room? Again, when you can't see the lower teeth like that, many times right away, you would know that there's a vertical discrepancy, that he would have a deep bite. But also, look at his face really closely. If we break up the face into thirds, it should be the upper third, the middle third, and the lower third. They all should be equal parts. But due in the before picture to the lack of that vertical dimension, he kind of has a squished in middle third. And you can see how it really transformed his whole face. And he's kind of glowing in his after picture. And that's really great to be part of, especially as the hygienist relationship where he's so happy to see you every six months. It's really a great feeling. And I hope you guys can share in that. So I like to share these studies with you that emphasize that recognizing malocclusion and malpositioned teeth is paramount to patient health. Dr. Geiger from Columbia tells us that malocclusion and abnormal tooth positions are now recognized as potential contributors to the disease process when they cause occlusal traumatism, and that Dr. Goldman and colleagues from UPenn talk about excessive functional stress and initiating inflammatory changes in the periodontium and thus enhance destructive bacterial processes. I also want to point out that it's not new that malpositioning teeth is paramount to patient health. What is new, perhaps, is the solution of taking the teeth out of trauma and putting them in proper alignment with clear aligner therapy as an option. So how do we implement these concepts and ortho into everyday dentistry? Well, our doctors, like Dr. Moralia, have more of a clinical philosophy than a protocol, and that philosophy is perio first, ortho second, restorative third. 
Now, when I say perio first, what I'm meaning is no active inflammation, no itis, no gingivitis, no periodontitis, no bleeding upon probing. Ortho second being a pillar of foundation for periodontal health and restorative third. Now, the current model in most dental offices and in most universities is perio first, restorative second, and ortho third. And many times ortho is left as an afterthought. What I'm challenging us today is just think a little bit differently and put ortho second as that foundation of health, as that pillar. And I challenge my patients to imagine if they're building a dream home and the architect is making up these plans and their dream home, I like to say East Hampton because I'm from Long Island, and they come back with these plans and all the beams are tilted in. Would you want to build your house on beams that are tilted in? Well, we can kind of say lingually inclined if you want to make the analogy. So no, you want your house built on foundation where the forces are going to be vertical. It's no different. Many dentists who have this perio-ortho restorative philosophy will temporize the teeth or provisionalize the teeth that need work and they do a final impression after the ortho work is completed. So Dr. Moralia does just that. And let me show you a case demonstrating. This is Victoria, and her Invisalign treatment plan is 10 months. Victoria's chief concern when she came to Dr. Moralia is that she wanted to replace her existing crowns on 8 and 9, and that she also hated her crooked teeth. That was her chief concern. So let's take a look at Victoria. She's been seeing a hygienist and a dentist every six months, and she thought that she was in great health, that she had no issues. Once in a while, her buccal composite would pop out, as you see illustrated here on the, on the mandibular. But overall, she thought she was in great shape. But we know as hygienists that this is not a healthy patient. Let's take a look at the left side. You can see this certainly is not healthy, and it's caused many times by the inclination and the trauma. So let's take a look at her before and after pictures because Dr. Moralia and his hygienist, they work as a tag team and they take the time to educate Victoria on the benefits of properly aligned teeth. So Victoria was on board and went ahead with the Invisalign therapy prior to her restorative treatment. And many times it's a great combination to do Invisalign first combined with the restorative treatment that's necessary. So let's look here. We can see, again, there's no such thing as crooked teeth anymore. So her chief concern one of them was checked off, and then he actually did eight and nine and did replace the premolars with crowns. So you can see the arch form is nice and round. And let's look at the buckle pictures on the right side. Notice this periodontal improvement. It's really amazing what can happen once you take the teeth out of trauma and then you align them properly to eliminate those forces. She doesn't have a perio problem. She did have a perio problem, based on an orthodontic problem, based on occlusal traumatism. So again, once we provide that solution, her perio problem was fixed. Same thing on the left side. It's really um, beautiful dentistry that will last a lifetime. And here is her before and after. Again, you can see the nice round arch. You can see the down the buccal corridor. It's not tipped in, and she won't have future subsequent abfractions, recessions, or need any of those buccal composites. And here's her after. And what I like to share is the Victoria five years later, because how does this stand up over the test of time? Well, let's take a look. 
Here's Victoria five years later, great periodontal condition, don't see any recession, don't see any clefting, do not see any abfraction formation. Here's the left buckle shot, perio looks great. And the right buckle shot, amazing, right? Amazing that Dr. Moralia has that philosophy and really helped Victoria achieve long-term oral health rather than just focusing on the Band-Aid treatments, especially from her chief complaints. So why, as hygienists, should we discuss orthodontics? Well, it's really our professional responsibility, according to the ADHA guidelines we reviewed on focusing on occlusion, as well as the AAP guidelines that included occlusion in their periodontal exam. We also want to advise our patients on the latest advances in dentistry, for they trust us that we'll give them the latest and best solutions for their problems. And it doesn't it make sense if it's an orthodontic problem to treat it with an orthodontic solution? This will eliminate those Band-Aid symptoms that we reviewed earlier. I want to share with you some conversation starters that I used personally chairside with my patients, and they all stemmed from genuine concern, and my patients felt that. So I would start the conversation many times by saying, this concerns me because... And then I added an action word to it, an I-N-G word, I call it, the ing, so to speak. So when you're looking at your patient and you're showing and telling them what's concerning you, try to make it in a tense where it's ongoing and it's active by adding I-N-G to the word. Let me show you some examples of that. So instead of saying to your patient, you know, I noticed you have recession, let's monitor that, I'll watch it, I used to say and show while I was saying this concerns me because your gums are receding. It prompts more of a reaction from your patient. They may ask something like, what do you mean they're receding? How long has this been happening? Will they continue to recede? What can I do about this? Compared to that stagnant, your gums have recession, let's watch this. Your teeth are chipping, it's active words. The enamel is thinning, your teeth are shifting. Now notice how I said shifting and not crowded because crowded is a stagnant word and many times on the lower arch where we find the most crowding, you can't even see it. So it doesn't become something of value to the patient. In fact, I found that when I've asked patients if the crowded teeth bother them, they would react like, hmm, not really. You know, you can't really see it. And as far as flossing goes, I don't really floss much anyway, so I certainly don't want to spend $5,000 to fix it, right? That's usually the mindset. But when I introduced it this way, saying, you know, Sally, this really concerns me because I noticed your teeth are shifting. It promotes that interaction and engagement. You know, another example would be your teeth are wearing. And I also like to enforce that it concerns me because how is Dr. So-and-so going to fix this 10, 20, 30 years from now, depending on the patient's age? So we really want to talk about dentistry that's designed to last rather than dentistry that's designed to fail. And your teeth are colliding rather than sliding. I probably said this a million times. That really resonates because they see it when you show them with the mirror or with their photos, how their teeth are colliding rather than sliding. Bring the law of physics into play. It all makes sense to them, especially when they see the subsequent damage that you are concerned about. I'd like to introduce the problem consequence solution model where we need to first identify the problem. The problem is not the crowded teeth. It's not the crooked teeth. The problem is the malpositioned teeth causing the malocclusion. The consequences then are those ING words, the shifting, the chipping, the receding, which can lead to hard and soft tissue damage, tooth loss and costly dentistry, surgery and implants. 
I always like to provide the actual solution to our patients and not the product. So the solution is to take your teeth out of trauma. Luckily, we have clear aligner therapy. You may have heard of Invisalign, but let them know what the solution is. The solution is to take your teeth out of trauma, and then they understand and they also don't feel like they're being sold at. So that's the revised problem consequence solution model. And if you look at here, the problem is always the malpositioned teeth. So proper tooth alignment can lead to, as we discussed, that solid foundation, proper occlusion, decreased risk of occlusal trauma and abnormal wear, healthier teeth. We didn't even talk about incipient decay, but when you have teeth that are aligned, they're easier to keep clean while you avoid that incipient decay in those crowded areas and have a healthy periodontium. Motivated patients, let's think of the swagger factor that we witnessed with these patients and hopefully that you'll witness with your own patients by providing this as a solution. And easier periodontal maintenance, not only for the patient, but selfishly for ourselves. We'll really have easier periodontal maintenance appointments and beautiful smiles. So notice how beautiful smiles is last. When I first was introduced to Invisalign back in 99, I had that way up on top until that Dr. Moralia lecture in 2006. So that was way up top. I thought it was really only in the cosmetic bucket. And I encourage you to talk about the beautiful and the aesthetic part about it, but have it more like the cherry on the sundae, not as the main reason to get into therapy because we're coming from a health angle here and we're providing an oral health solution. And as a bonus, you'll have a beautiful smile. Now, don't get me wrong. If a patient's chief concern is that they're unhappy with their smile, an absolutely beautiful smile will go right on top of that list. But make sure you tell them about all the health benefits as well so they realize that they're having an investment in their health, too, as well as getting that nice smile that they wanted. So as we come to the conclusion of part one, I do want to leave you with an action item, and that's to be an orthodetective. So when you next see your patients, have this one question running throughout your existing exams. Is this condition related to malpositioning? If you can say yes, I'm encouraging you to try an ing or two, to try some of this new verbiage, to try this concerns me because, and perhaps just try to change using the word crowded to shifting. And if that's too difficult, try at least crowding so you have that urgency and see the difference of the engagement it makes. I do want to remind you that this is a two-part series, so I look forward to having you back on Wednesday, October 28th. I do hope you can join me. It would be 4 p.m. Pacific and 7 p.m. Eastern. What we will be reviewing is really our role in implementing this in the dental practice and how to implement ortho into clinical practicality. We're going to focus a little bit more on that specific verbiage to engage our patients and to value what I call our prevention plans versus treatment plans. We're going to go over specific role plays so you can see how to do this firsthand. And I'm going to introduce six words to avoid from the dental chair when presenting Invisalign. And I wonder if you can guess what they are. So I do hope you join me next time so we can further elaborate and focus more so on the how-to present Invisalign with more detail. I do want to share with you Invisalign's mission statement because I do believe it holds near and dear to many of us as hygienists having a similar mission statement, and that is transforming people's lives by improving the journey to a healthy, beautiful smile. Thank you so much for joining me today in part one of the two-part webinar series. I am thrilled that you are on board, and I really am looking forward to your questions.